Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on the part of the world you're joining us from. Welcome to this Alliance for Science Life webinar. We are so glad to have you all signing in from different parts of the world and joining us today. My name is Modesta Abugu. I'm the Alliance for Science uh, Social Media Coordinator and also one of the training lead. And I'm so happy to be your moderator for today's webinar. And uh, today we have an exciting topic which we are going to speak about. And that is on the role that Ghanaian scientists play in improving the food security situation in Ghana. This topic is uh, particularly interesting because this is a time and age where modern science is improving food security in different ways. So I'm super excited to have with us four renowned scientists, we call them young modern scientists, um, four young modern scientists who are working on different projects, different research and different crops in the attempt to improve food security situation in Ghana. So without much ado, I would like to go on and call on our scientists. Um, I will not be introducing them in details, but because they will tell us more about themselves and their research. But for our, one of the first speaker is Dr. John Elevu. He's the head of Calpi and Serbian projects in the West African Center for Crop Improvement, Waki. Welcome, Dr. John. And our other speaker is Dr. Ageman Dankwa, the head of Tomato Genetics Program in Waki. We are glad to have you, Dr. Ageman. Dr. Thank you. So our third speaker is Dr. Mavis Onusa, a molecular biotechnologist at the University of Energy and Natural Resources. Hi, Dr. Mavis. Hello. Good to And finally, we have Dr. Daniel Ofosu, a research scientist at the Biotechnology and Nuclear Agriculture Research Institute, Binari. Welcome, Dr. Daniel. Thank you, Modesta. Okay, so to get us started with this uh, conversation, we're going to make it so informal. So to get us started in this conversation, I would like to first ask you guys a fun question. Um, and that question is, if you would eat, if you if you'd eat just one food throughout your life, like if you're made to eat just one food, <laughs> whatever, throughout your life, what food would that be and why? Um, okay, I can start with Dr. Ayman. Um, I would, I would, I, I would say that would be kinky for me. Uh, oh. <laughs> it, it's a, uh, made from uh, um, maize dough, fermented maize dough, and and I think um, my grandmother used to feed me a lot with it when I was young, and and the taste got stuck with me. And also, I get to eat it with my favorite uh, crop, which is tomato. So I, I get both, the, the best of both. Yeah. Yeah. So you combine both your research and your favorite delicacy. That's super nice. <laughs> okay, Dr. Daniel. Well, um, as the unofficial president of the Fufu Eaters Association, I my favorite is fufu. I I can eat fufu um, every day. In fact, um, I actually had it for breakfast today. Oh, wow. And 
<laughs> it kind of influences my work. That's interesting. So what, what type of fufu? Is it the one made from corn flour or from cassava flour? Okay, so, yeah, so fufu is made from cassava and uh, plantain. And I like it with uh, what we in Ghana call light soup. Um, it's uh, essentially a tomato soup. Um, yes, and I, I, I like it with uh, meat. Uh, typically. That's, awesome. yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Okay, Mavis. <laughs> Okay, I would say um, beans with ripe plantain. I can take that anytime, any day, and I'll be good. And that's balanced. I'll get enough protein, I'll get some carbohydrates and vitamins as well. So, yeah. Oh, that, that, that sounds so delicious. And I'm glad we have a beans breeder here, Dr. John. So, what crop will you eat? What food will you eat all your life? Yes, you can, you can guess. <clears throat> I'll beans. combine. I'll combine the beans with <coughs> the kinky. Because oh. kinky is my favorite, and uh, I'm also a vegetarian. So I would love to have beans as my protein source in any meal. So uh, that gives me a complete diet. That's really nice. Okay, yes. so over to our participants. Please tell us in the chat. If you were to eat one food all through your life, what food would that be? Also, we have a couple of folks joining us on Facebook Live and joining us on Zoom. So please kindly send us your questions in the Q&A button in the webinar um, feature here, and we'll be glad to take that. So um, now we are ready to get into the topic of the day. Oh, Jacob said he would eat chocolate. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I wonder why, Jacob. And Susan eats sweet potato. Interestingly, I'm also a sweet potato breeder. So yay to sweet potatoes. Okay, so um, to get started with the topic of the day, uh, I would like to get you all scientists to introduce yourselves. Um, would like to hear about what you do every day, what research do you work on, and why do you work on that? Um, I'd like to start with Dr. John. Hello, Modesta, and hello to everybody. Uh, it's a great opportunity to be here on this panel uh, of renowned scientists in Ghana. I am excited and I always work with the cowpea, the beans that everybody wants to eat. I breed cowpea. I'm developing pre-breeding lines for the improvement of cowpea I'm using several methods, uh, tissue culture, uh, mutagenesis, and also looking at natural variations. So my focus mainly is on cowpea, but then I also work on soybean. Uh, soybean because it's another highly nutritious crop for uh, the diets of Ghanaians. And we have, this has been introduced into the country and so there's the need to make sure we have more adaptable lines and also improve the crop for utilization, especially for poultry feed production. Soybean has become very important for the feed production in Ghana. So my work is centered around soybean and cowpea. But I'm also a senior lecturer at the Biotechnology Center, University of Ghana, and also coordinator for research at Waki. 
the West Africa Center for Crop Improvement. Thank you. Thank you, John. You work on two very important crops, a food security crop and an economically viable crop. So the work you do is very important. And we look forward to hearing the tools that you apply in this research and uh, how you do them. Um, so Ayaman, can we hear more about your research? Yes, uh, thank you very much, Modesta. Uh, I am also a, a senior lecturer at the Department of Crop Science at the University of Ghana, and I coordinate the academic programs uh, at the West Africa Center for Crop Improvement. Um, so I work mainly on tomato. Um, uh, and to, just to give you a little background, tomato is a very important uh, crop in Ghana. Uh, in some of the research, uh, it was shown that um, uh, tomato alone accounts for over 40% of um, uh, all the, the funds that go to, to buying vegetables in, in the households, uh, making it a very important uh, uh, vegetable. Uh, it is said that every, almost every meal in Ghana uh, contains uh, tomato. So the, the man who can eat fufu uh, three times in a day needs uh, tomato to make his soup, right? Uh, uh, even when you make bean stew, uh, you also need uh, tomato to, to make the bean stew, making it uh, so important. Uh, it's also been shown that uh, we are spending over $100 million to import tomato from neighboring country like uh, Burkina Faso. Um, and, and, and because of that, uh, we really need to find sustainable ways to, to produce the crop in Ghana. So what uh, my work focuses on, uh, and I'm, I'm touching uh, almost every part of the, the challenges that face tomato in Ghana, which is uh, the, the, the stresses, the challenges that the farmers face in producing the crops. So whether it is uh, diseases, whether it is the uh, abiotic stresses here, uh, we are trying to, uh, to touch on that. Whether it is challenges with transport, uh, uh, even to the extent of uh, engaging with uh, with farmers to uh, ensure that they, they are doing the, the, the right agronomic practices. Uh, it's, it's more like a green area or a gray area. So we we are we have our hands in almost a, a bit of everything and, and we are trying to 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 help with the challenges that we are facing now. And uh, I pretty much enjoy what I'm doing and, and I'm happy to share uh, going forward. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Ayaman. I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say the last thing that you enjoy what you're doing because the nutrition, uh, the nutritional status of Ghana, we know with tomato being the most, uh, the predominant vegetable being consumed, it's almost like this responsibility lies in your hands to develop, you know, <laughs> the, the most nutritious vegetable that Ghanaians will consume. So thank you for sharing that passion with us. Um, Mavis, can we hear more about what you do? Hey, thank you, Modesta, and thank you to all of you as a listener. Um, I am currently an assistant lecturer at the University of Energy and Natural Resources. Um, I have been able to work using model plants like Arabidopsis to identify some very important genes which can be used for stress tolerance, such as droughts and salinity stress. So the idea is to use that in one of the most important crops in Ghana, rice, right? to improve 
it's uh, drought and salt tolerance. So that's basically it. I, I am a young, I'll say I'm the baby scientist among this team. <laughs> so I have a lot to learn from all of them. And I am also very excited about what I do. It's, it's quite sad. I haven't been in the lab for a very long time. And I look forward to stepping back into the lab. We love our baby scientists because they are the ones that would motivate the young guy, the baby, baby scientists to do more good work. So thank you for being here and for the work that you do. Uh, Daniel, can we hear more about your work? Hi, Daniel. Okay, it seems um, like Daniel's video is frozen. Daniel, are you back? Okay, you're muted. Yes, Daniel, can you tell us more about your work? Well, uh, so like, uh, maybe it's like, I think I'm the, I'm the, I'm the only person who is not actively lecturing now. I. I used to lecture at the Graduate School of Nuclear and Allied Sciences. I did that from 2010 till sometime 2020. And um, in between that time, I did a lot of work on policy, um, helping Ghana build um, a functional biosafety system um, so that when all the work that is done by scientists comes to the regulator, um, capacity is built enough to be able to um, assess uh, the, the dossiers that come to them and do full-time research. And like, I think all the others, my work uh, revolves around what I love to, to eat. Um, I work on plantains and Ghana is food secure in three crops and plantains is one of them. And so my work focuses on how to make plantains available for longer. It's one of those crops that don't stay too long on the shelf. Um, very recently, I've started working just like um, Ajiman on tomatoes, but I am looking at the post-harvest part of tomatoes. Um, when um, in the country we get glass, um, how can we make them available for longer so that um, the prices don't fluctuate like we, we typically see it? So um, because I love fufu, I'm working on plantain and uh, I need the tomato for my soups. So that's basically me. Thank you so much, Daniel. I, I feel like in this panel already, we have an already made meal here, well, well cooking. We have plantains, tomatoes, <laughs> beans, all sorts of things cooking here. That is so good to hear. Um, but I, I want to now go down to the serious challenge at hand, which is the issue with the agricultural issue that we all face in Africa. And I'm sure that Ghana also faces some challenges. Um, you all have mentioned your research focusing on drought tolerance or even disease resistance. But I want to specifically focus on cowpea and ask Dr. John, um, so what challenges have you faced in your research and what agricultural tool, what innovative or scientific tool are you using to solve this kind of challenge? Uh, 
Yeah, so the challenges um, that we face mainly is due to uh, stagnation in the yield of the crop. Um, the yield of legumes generally have been uh, very low and uh, stagnated in the country over many years. Um, whereas the potential could be twice as much yield that we can be harvesting, uh, our smallholder farmers are not able to get that yield potential. And so for me, the focus has been on uh, trying to increase this uh, productivity. And, uh, but then we are looking at the key factors that are limiting the reduction in the yields, which of course are biotic and abiotic factors. And so we, uh, in terms of for soybean breeding and cowpea breeding, we are focused on uh, looking at materials that are adaptable to the environment that are capable of withstanding the existing pests and diseases, and also materials that can give us uh, maybe twice as much yield. And so that has been the focus and the tools I'm using, I'm using both uh, conventional breeding practices, making crosses uh, across uh, many lines. And we are looking at about 11 different F2 populations. We've passed F2, we are now at the F4 F5 generation in our breeding program. And uh, also I combine other tools which are not traditional, which are modern tools like uh, mutagenesis, uh, that is inducing mutagenesis using EMS, uh, ethylmethane sulfonate, a chemical that helps to bring, natural, uh, bring variation into crops. And these variations are known. Uh, and so I can then look at the variations and go back and look at the DNA sequences that have been changed and look for materials in, uh, that are good for the environment. So I'm doing forward and reverse genetics, having developed the mutagenesis population. Uh, forward genetics deals with looking at the phenotypes first, what we can see in the field. And when we see variations that are useful, we pick those variations and then now make crosses and try to develop populations that will segregate and go back and then map and look for the genes that are responsible for the variations. So that's on the research scientific side, but then breeding, uh, using that also as a breeding tool, we are looking at materials that have higher yield. We found a number which have more uh, number of pots per plant. We have materials that have more seeds per plant. And uh, this is also at the fifth generation now, <clears throat> after several years of uh, self in the materials. So we are getting ready to test uh, looking at drought and test on pests, and then uh, finally decide on which materials to release to our farmers to help them increase the yield of or the productivity of uh, cowpea or beans. Yeah. And most people don't know that cowpea is beans. So <laughs> just to state it and restate it. And then on another project, I'm looking at 
using tissue culture and plant transformation, genetic transformation. And on that project, we've been able to do regeneration of whole cowpea plants or beans plants from uh, small parts of the plant, uh, X plants, we call them, uh, maybe the shoot tip or the leaf or the um, cotyledons. So we've taken uh, parts of the plant and we are able to make whole plants from them. That's a tissue culture regeneration uh, research, which is successful. We are able to do this using uh, extracts from plants. So tomato juice, uh, we can grow whole cowpea plants using tomato juice as the platform or using uh, coconut water. And so we have found new ways of uh, doing regeneration in vitro and developing whole plants. The next step in that is to get genes of interest, like the resurrection gene, which has been found in desert plants. We want to get those genes of interest into cowpea so that when there is drought, the plant will fake to die. That's it will fake, it will behave as if it is dead. And then when you water, it will regain its greenness and then bloom and then give you yield. So that's the kind of gene that we are trying to bring into cowpea from desert plants. And that has been done for wheat and barley by the Rothamsted Institute uh, and the researchers in the UK. So we want to see how we are able to bring this gene into cowpea uh, in our local materials and see how this will help us in the long term in terms of climate change. We know we are going to have drier environments and so we are preparing for such futures using these technologies. Thank you. Wow, those, those are really important research and it's great that you're mentioning so many technologies, conventional breeding, mutagenesis, tissue culture. And for the longest time, the, we have you know, focused so much on discussing about GMOs without really realizing that these other technologies have been you know, well applied in trying to improve uh, crops. So thank you for sharing that, those important tips. And I believe that our audience would have some questions about some of the science of the, I mean, some of the technologies that you've already mentioned. So please, if you have questions, feel free to send it across to us um, in the Q&A uh, button or on Facebook Live, and we'll be happy to take them. But before then- Just, just to come in briefly. So the last technique I mentioned is GMO technique, is genetic engineering. Yes. The last technique. Yes. Yes, that, thank you for bringing that into the limelight. So um, I want to really quickly run through this discussion amongst all of our other panelists, because I feel like a lot of questions will come out from all this you know, um, work that you all are doing. So Ayman, can you also tell us more about what you, um, the tools that you use in tomatoes? Yeah, so uh, uh, earlier on I said that the the challenges with tomatoes are many. And for that reason, we are not even able to, as a country, produce enough to, to feed ourselves. Um, and also, uh, for a very long time, uh, research in the country uh, have focused on uh, 
the 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 statue the the statue uh, staples uh, so uh, maize rice cassava uh, and and a few more uh, to the neglect of uh, vegetables uh, such as tomato uh, and in fact that is what uh, gave us um, um, that edge to go into an area which uh, hadn't been worked on for a very long time. So you can you can imagine the challenges that face tomato in the country. Many, uh, many. So the, the major diseases here uh, include the yellow leaf curl, tomato yellow leaf curl, uh, uh, virus that is a, is, a, is a challenge here. Then you also have a bacterial world. Uh, I am aware that in certain parts of the northern region, northern part of Ghana, some farmers uh, had to stop uh, cultivation because uh, their fields were infected with the, with the Rastonia bacteria and there was nothing they could do. I mean, for over several years, they haven't attempted to cultivate on that uh, land because of this uh, challenge. Um, then we have issues of uh, drought because of the changing climate. Uh, we have issues of drought, and uh, increasingly also we have issues of uh, heat, uh, high night temperature. The high night temperatures uh, is also a major challenge, uh, making it um, uh, difficult to produce, or in fact, uh, impossible to produce during certain uh, times of the year. So you can't even do uh, all year round production in Ghana. Production is only limited to the growing regions. You can't you can't produce all year round. This is why, uh, like um, Daniel said, there are times that you have abundant production of uh, tomato and the prices fall, and there are times that the same tomato will cost you five to ten times uh, its original cost. Uh, that's high price uh, fluctuations in, in Ghana. And, and the fact that we, we need to supplement by in, uh, importing from neighboring country, uh, Burkina Faso. So some of the things that we started initially was um, uh, receiving materials from several seed companies and doing some trialing just to identify uh, new improved materials that we could readily give to farmers to, to, be, to, to, to grow. Um, we were doing a, a lot of testing all year, uh, all around Ghana to make sure we get uh, materials that are adapted to the specific growing environment uh, for the farmers to grow. On our own, we've been uh, doing, uh, we've been using mainly uh, a traditional approach, which is the, the courses. Uh, first, we bring in uh, several germplasm uh, and then we screen them for um, specific uh, traits. And then we are trying to uh, uh, do courses to see uh, which of the traits can be moved into into or which combinations we can make to to develop new uh, hybrids that we can uh, hand over to farmers. We also tried our hands on uh, the shelf life uh, work. We use uh, uh, some mutants that have already been um, uh, developed uh, through EMS. We were trying to see if they will be useful in the genetic backgrounds that we have. Uh, uh, and that work is still ongoing. Uh, and um, we still have uh, some work we want to do in the future, not too long, not too distant future, uh, because we, we feel that the traditional approach would only get us so far. If we want to break barriers and to, to, to bring in, uh, uh, to, to rapidly uh, um, 
gain in the things that we want to do, we would have to have, try our hands on some of the new approaches like gene editing. So those are some of the things we, we want to establish a gene editing platform to be able to uh, effectively work on some of the traits that are of importance to farmers in this region. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, um, Emma, because I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned uh, gene editing as one of the tools you're planning to use because uh, that brings me to the question, my next question that I have for Daniel, which is while the scientists like Ayama and John, they are working on using these innovative tools to improve crops, there are policies that either are in place or needs to be put in place to enable them to do their work. Can you, you've worked so long in, you know, a, facilitating biosafety processes around uh, research. So can you tell us more about the work that you've done with this and what is the status for gene editing and GMOs in terms of helping commercialize some of the research they are doing? So um, Ghana as a, as a country has a science, technology and innovation policy. And successively, Ghana has introduced uh, or has recognized the potential of biotechnology and new uh, plant breeding uh, methods, uh, techniques, basically, to improving food security in the country. Um, so what we've been doing has been to build a system where uh, state institutions are able to understand first the technology and to put in place um, those policies that would facilitate the uptake of those technologies. Um, we, when we first started sometime in 2003, um, the baseline study showed that there was some capacity that was built from um, a lot of Ghanaians who had gone out to train, but um, the regulators in the country didn't have the, the needed, um, the needed uh, skill to regulate these skills. So um, in 2000 and in 2009, um, a legislative instrument was passed um, to enable scientists in Ghana to work first on GMOs. And, and this was what enabled the first applications for GMs in Ghana. Um, we're lucky that in 2011, a substantive law um, around GMO was passed. And uh, effectively in 2015, uh, a body, or the body known as the National Biosafety Authority was established. Um, as I speak with you, um, a lot of things have gone on. We've had several trials on, on crops from cotton to cowpea to um, rice. And uh, we had one that was um, homegrown, um, sweet potato, I'm sure you'll be happy. Unfortunately, we, we didn't get uh, funds to carry out the field trial. But this was done by a scientist from one of our research institutions, together with uh, Tuskegee University. Um, so um, on the what I call GMO 101, um, Ghana has some um, base to work on. But uh, what we currently lack is the enabling policy for newer methods like genome editing. It's a gray area because if you look at our law, um, it gives the National Biosafety Authority the, uh, that authority to 
regulate um, products that have been changed with no visible changes. And, 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 and that is a bit gray. So we are still working with the National Biosafety Authority. We currently have a, a draft uh, guideline on how they assess uh, um, genome edited products in the country. Thank you so much for that kind um, response. Um, at least we are optimistic, hopeful that uh, the GMO, the favorable GMO policies will really uh, facilitate the adoption of some of the crops that are under research um, in Ghana currently. So um, over to you, Mavis. Um, as the youngest scientist in the group, and you're working on rice, you're working on drought tolerance, which is like the future of the world because with climate change and with the issues, the, the general agricultural challenges, it's kind of like the in thing now, it's a very important research. So you're young and you're resilient and you go to the lab every day, you do your research. I, my question for you is like, how do you walk through that on a daily? How do you persevere? What challenges do you face? And what would you like other young scientists out there to know about what you do and how they can also become like you? Okay, thank you, Modesta. Um, talking about the challenges, I think it differs from institution to institution. And within the past few years, I have been around. <laughs> so I can give a recap of what experience I had outside Ghana and then here in Ghana, currently in Sunyane, University of Energy and Natural Resources. So um, I would say what motivated me most while away studying would be the fact that I get to come up with something that will be of interest for Ghanaians. Uh, starting my research, it was actually in the medical field. And then it dawned on me that there are so many people in the medical field using biotechnology and biology. But when it comes to the agric sector, there aren't many of, of such. So when I got the opportunity to study something with plants, study stress tolerance, how will they be able to withstand harsh environmental conditions like salinity and drought, it, it was intriguing. And I figured it would be of much benefit to Ghana than what I was previously studying. So the switch was quite um, a quick and easy decision for me to take because I've always wanted to come back home and apply what I studied. So it was very interesting for me to start up with the plant biotechnology research which I was able to end up identify very interesting genes. And about um, another motivation I had was to finish quickly and come home. <laughs> come home to family and to also utilize the skill that I have to progress the agricultural sector in Ghana. Um, the challenges here in Ghana would be facilities and funding. That's the main challenge that we face in Ghana. So you may have the ideas, you may have um, the skill, but if you don't find yourself in the right place at the right time, having the right funding, it becomes very difficult for you to implement whatever knowledge that you have or whatever skill that you have. So I, my advice would be <laughs> create good connections while you have the chance 
so that while you're away, you can still connect to be able to get support some way, somehow, whether it's somebody um, giving off their lab to you to utilize or given some knowledge or some sort of funding to be able to work on whatever you think you want to do. For new scientists, that would be the main thing that I would say, good connections with people that can help. And another thing would be, nothing is irrelevant. You should take everything seriously in terms of skills. You may be working on something that doesn't need a particular skill, but if you have the chance to study it, do so. And don't deem any skill as irrelevant. It could even be a language. Learn it if you have the chance to, because it opens doors. Um, I think that, that's, that's about it for upcoming scientists for me. Yeah, yeah I, I really love that advice because I'm always one to question, why am I learning this? Why am I doing this? Do I really need this at this point? But it's good to know that nothing actually is relevant. So it's kind of comes in handy in the future at some, at some point. So thank you for that um, word of advice for our young scientists out there. So we have a couple of questions on the chat, on the Q&A. And I'd like to go first on this one that I think it's, a, it's addressed to either John or a young man. It says, is there any form of regulation, okay, maybe it's for the three of you, John, Ayaman, or Daniel. Is there any form of regulation for crop varieties which are developed through mutagenesis as EMS is known to be carcinogenic? Would anyone like to take the question? Yeah, I think I can give it a try. So yes, uh, EMS is uh, carcinogenic and uh, irradiation and uh, other forms of uh, mutagenic agents that are used to develop uh, variations are mutagenic in nature. And so uh, we do not give the EMS to farmers. We use the EMS on seeds and then over many generations, in fact, even before the seeds that have been metagenized are taken to the field, they are washed. There are actually standard protocols, SOPs in place for you to be able to even handle it as a scientist. If not, uh, we, we would all have uh, cancers by now. But then we take standard operating procedures seriously in handling even the chemical. So, and there are other chemicals that are used to deactivate or neutralize the EMS in the lab. So anything that EMS touches, it has to be washed and even handling the EMS has to be done under a hood, which is well protected. And you have to wear all the gears uh, to protect yourself as a human being handling the chemical. So when it is deactivated or neutralized with uh, sodium thiosulfate, which is the chemical we use to neutralize EMS, then it is deactivated and can no longer cause uh, uh, issues. And so that is then the seeds are then washed after that process. 
and so wash and rinse like three times before taking to the field to plant. And when you plant, you are going to observe the plants and make sure that the plants have all the features of the wild type, which is the normal one, and maybe have a unique expression, maybe yield or uh, some other thing of interest, other traits of interest. If you find the traits of interest in the line, that line over many generations, more than five generations, six generations, they are monitored to make sure that they are stable and they don't have uh, maybe uh, allergies or something that will cause a problem in handling when you handle it. They are still having uh, normal growth and all of that, but then they have maybe some unique trait. Now, you don't just release the seeds that you have to farmers even after the five years. You have to go through procedures which are laid down, the policies are laid down for you to be able to release the variety. So they are take, we are taking through all those processes to ensure that the materials are not so-called uh, uh, carcinogenic, but in terms of cancer, it may take long time to even show up. And so there could be other reasons for cancer, not uh, the crops that they are working on. Uh, irradiated materials are being used for more than 30 years now in Ghana. Tech uh, yeah, so Banchi is one of them. It was released 30 years ago, and we don't have cancer associated with it. And so, yes, the mutagens that are used to create the mutation may be mutagenic, but the products at the end are not carcinogenic. So we do not have carcinogenic materials going out to the, the environment for people yeah. to use. Thank you, John. So what, I, what I'm hearing you say actually is that Crops that are developed through mutagenesis, they are safe and healthy for people to consume. So thank you for that kind explanation. Um, I'd love to take the next question because we are quickly running out of time. Um, so for, for traditional breeding, how often, this is a question from Susan. She says, for traditional breeding, how often are new crop varieties, say cowpea or tomato introduced to Ghanaian farmers from Ghanaian research? I believe I am, and you can take this question. Yes, uh, so I know if you are starting your breeding program, uh, then you are looking uh, at between, uh, if you are very efficient, between six to eight years uh, to start releasing uh, uh, materials or, or varieties to farmers. Um, we, we were lucky, we got uh, some materials from the World Vegetable Center. And when we did the trial, they were, uh, they were high yielding, they were moderately resistant to uh, many of the challenges, uh, disease and pest uh, incidences in Ghana and, and in the farmers like them. So we were able to release within two years of releasing them, um, receiving the material. But uh, this is atypical. This is not the, the typical thing that happens. Uh, you, you, you would have to go uh, many years, uh, several years, between six and eight years. To, to release a variety. At least this is what I can say for tomato. Maybe John would want to add for cowpea. Yeah, I'm, I'm also guessing that for those um, 
for for those eight eight years that there are some technologies that can be um, applied to shorten the length of time it takes or speed up the development and release of those varieties. So maybe now I want to go to Daniel to ask him, what are those technologies? And also I follow up from Susan, what are the genetically mod what are there any genetically modified crops grown in Ghana? And if yes, what are those? Okay, so we have genetically modified crops in Ghana. Um, we have cowpea and uh, we have rice. Uh, unfortunately, Okay, it seems Daniel's network is freezing. Okay, we can come back to you, John, to answer the question on the technologies that are available to speed up the time it takes to develop those varieties. Oh, okay, Modesta, there are several technologies now available to speed up uh, the time of release of varieties. Um, so we've talked about some, uh, I think even tissue culture, we are able to use that to shorten the growth cycles of some plants because when you take them through tissue culture, you can have new variations that are maybe faster growing. And uh, okay, we can use light, the type of light that is used, which is uh, at the spectrum that the plants are able to use more efficiently. So light can be used to speed up the cycle of the plant and then release. We call those uh, speed breeding techniques. And also there are other standard breeding protocol techniques that can be used, which are traditional, but then light is one, tissue culture is one, um, being able to move the gene quickly, for instance, from a desert plant into uh, our uh, cultivated plant like cowpea using transgenic, uh, that is genetic engineering. That technology also speeds up because when we make the crosses, we are putting two different individuals together. And then when we sell the hybrid, it's going to give us many, many combinations that we have to now go through and look for which one has a trait where is the trait in the population? And it takes time to get the trait and stabilize it over generations and then finally releasing it. So we've tried uh, genetic engineering can be used to speed up the process. And gene editing is even more faster because you take the plant that you want to edit and you go down to the gene that you wish to edit and like a scissors and a needle uh, to stitch, you're able to cut and make the right changes and then what, stitch back the, the genome. And so that genome editing helps to speed up the process because we are not going to now make a cross and then come and select from the cross variations and then make sure the variations are stable over time. So, Gene editing is also another fast technique that can accelerate the time. Thank you so much, John. And, yeah, and 
thank God we have you back, Daniel, because now we want to know, uh, John has mentioned some of those technologies, GMOs, gene editing. What is the status of GMO and gene edited crops in Ghana? And are there any out there in the field? I'm sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm in a, a very old building, so uh, I keep going on and off. Um, we have um, two crops currently in Ghana that are genetically modified, um, cowpea, and uh, I'm sure John is very happy. Um, cowpea faces a lot of challenges with um, insects uh, on the field, right from the time it starts to um, grow till it's even harvested. And so we have um, cowpea that has been engineered to be resistant to the pod insect. And um, in heavily infested areas, you can get up to 80% losses of these um, of your crop pre-harvest that is not even after harvest. Um, we also have rice that is currently being worked on by researchers in Ghana. Um, this rice has been engineered to be nitrogen use efficient, water use efficient, and salt tolerant. Um, unfortunately, we still don't have these in the hands of farmers. Um, you know, policy uh, goes with uh, a lot of, um, of bottlenecks, um, especially when a lot of people don't understand new technologies and don't understand that um, biotechnology and GMs or genetic crops uh, are just a continuum in, in our plant breeding uh, cycle. So um, we still don't have it in the hands of farmers. We are hoping in, the, in a year or two, we should have this in the hands of farmers. Thank you for that update, uh, Daniel. And I believe that has answered the question from Lionel. Uh, she also asked, there, are there some opportunities for partnerships? And what about biosafety and GMs? Do you want to follow up on that, Daniel? Uh, there are a lot of uh, opportunities for, um, for partnerships in Ghana. We have a, a ton of scientists who are trained in this uh, from plant breeders to entomologists to uh, physiologists who understand the crops, who are willing to work with all manner of people across the world. Um, and we have, we are one of a few countries in Africa who have a functional biosafety system uh, and is very welcoming of new technologies uh, in, this, in this area. So I will not, I will, I will um, um, throw a, an invitation to you to come and partner with any of us here. Uh, we can also work with the National Biosafety Authority to get uh, all the needed approvals for you. Awesome, thank you. I I'd like us to hear from Mavis again because we are running out of time. So Mavis, when I, I, I see you or hear about your research, you see that as the future of science, the future of agriculture. So what do you see as a future of agriculture broadly for both the Ghanaian economy and for consumers? Thank you again, Modesta. Um, the future of agriculture in Ghana. I think most of it will depend on our biosafety authority. And once the door is open to accepting genetic engineering, I see exploits and I see food security being a thing of the past because we have well-equipped scientists who are open to working on all the important crops in Ghana to make them uh, last longer, 
in terms of post-harvest, we heard of post-harvest research going on. We also have scientists who are interested in proving yield, resistance to pests, uh, diseases, and so on. So if it's, it's approved that genetic engineering could be used, there, there's a huge prospect for agriculture in Ghana. We'll be able to feed the population and also export. It would be an economic resource for Ghana because agriculture is one of the means that I see as a breakthrough for Ghana. If we focus on agriculture as much as we do in other areas like health, would, would go a very long way to improving the lives of Ghanaians as well as uh, globally. So yes, there, there's a huge prospect for agriculture in Ghana. The farmers are welcoming. They, all they want are good products and the scientists are ready to work. So I think we just need the government support in terms of funding and policy. So we'll be able to make Ghana a better place to be. And I think it would eradicate poverty in the long term. Thank you. Thank you so much for that really impact, insightful uh, comment. And you're right, Ghana, uh, technology and innovation is the future of agriculture in Ghana. At this point, uh, we are five minutes down to the hour, and I would like to start taking the final words from you, all wonderful scientists. So my question for you as you make your final comment is, should Ghana, um, should Ghana embrace the gene revolution? We've talked about GMOs and gene editing, but tell us your thoughts about if Ghana needs to embrace this and why it's important for Ghana to embrace this. And then you can end with your closing thoughts. So I, I would like to start, go around with all our panelists and maybe John, you can set us off on this. Thank you, Modesta. Uh, I think Ghana is ready to embrace the gene revolution going forward to ensure that we have food security and also nutrition security, as well as economic security and sustainable farming systems. The gene revolution brings along many opportunities uh, in contributing towards food, fiber, feed, uh, security and sufficiency if well adopted, and also helps in conserving the environment and the biodiversity because of the less use of chemicals uh, when you are using, for instance, the Bt cowpea and Bt crops. You reduce the amount of uh, chemicals that are going to the environment that may be polluting the environment. And it, it gives us new opportunities to transform our agriculture into a more sustainable agriculture. And on a case-by-case -case basis, I think each GMO event should be looked at and accepted uh, for increasing the productivity and also ensuring that our farmers have more income from increased productivity leading to improved livelihoods. And so I, I believe Ghana is ready for this and we are also ready to support in terms of the scientific work and the research and also the, the uh, ability to impact uh, positively on livelihoods. 
So that's my final thoughts on, on, on this. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. Um, Ayangmal, can I can we hear from you? Yeah, uh, I would first uh, start by saying that uh, I, I was hoping that you would pronounce my name correctly at some point, but maybe just to correct you, it is Ajiman. Ajiman. Right. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Thank you yeah. for that correction. Um, <laughs> so, um, let me just tell a, a 20, 20 second story. Maybe that will help me finalize uh, my thoughts here. Uh, we we did some um, training for farmers in the in the northern parts northern parts of Ghana. Uh, it was a biotechnology awareness creation uh, trip that we took. We went to three different farming communities, and we talked to the farmers about uh, products, GM products, and the benefits. And afterwards, they said, uh, can we have some of the materials to try? They were just excited to quickly uh, pick the materials and use, uh, telling you that uh, these farmers have real challenges that uh, they see GM uh, technology providing the, the solution. That's what we have been preaching for a very long time. Uh, and, and, and so in, in, if you look at it in that perspective, it looks like uh, we have actually very, we've, act, we've actually delayed a lot in accepting uh, this technology to improve their productivity on farmers' fields. Uh, we, we could have done better and we would have helped a lot if uh, we had accepted this uh, long ago for these farmers who need these uh, kinds of uh, solutions on their fields. Uh, um, uh, to improve uh, the productivity, to improve their livelihoods. And you know, they, they basically depend on farming and, and whatever they get from uh, cultivating their land. And if anything should go wrong, uh, you, sometimes it can even end in suicide. Uh, we've heard many stories like that. So this is human life that we are talking about. I also heard of a story where they, uh, they, they said that if you go to the hospital, the doctor always says, take this medicine before or after meals, right? Making food the most important. So just to say that uh, we really should push and get these technologies to farmers who need them uh, to improve their livelihoods. Thank you very much. Wow, so before and after medicine comes food. So it's very important that we take food as one of the priorities. Thank you for that really uh, good insight. So quickly, can we hear from you, Daniel, then Mavis? Um, I'm, I'm happy I'm coming after Ajiman because I was going to say um, food is the most important thing to every human being after, uh, after oxygen. So anything that goes with food should be taken seriously. Um, across Africa, not just Ghana, we have a cadre of youth who are ready to make sure that food becomes available for all of us from research all the way to the farm. Um, we, we need to work with policymakers and policy managers to ensure that our, our countries are food secure. Um, we're looking at what is happening across the globe currently. Yes, take away the oil, uh, the energy supplies. The next thing that is causing a lot of challenge across the world is food supply. And if we, we as uh, countries or as people are going to be starving, then you can imagine how our race is, is going to be like. 
And our, our agriculture faces a lot of challenges. We're using conventional means, but as much as possible, we should be open-minded about new and improved uh, breeding techniques that would make food available for us, uh, more nutritious food, safer food, and uh, available all year round because our tastes haven't changed. Our tastes have, uh, have only become uh, more pronounced as we, we, we get more integrated. So um, I'm happy that we got an audience to listen to us talk about our story here in Ghana and what we are looking forward to doing with these new plant breeding techniques. Thank you. Um, sorry, I don't know what happened. Oh, my Zoom quit unexpectedly. So can we please hear the final words from you, Mavis? Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you all. I think they've said it all. So in summary, I would say this. There's a proverb in, in Ghana, which says if, if the, I think I'm paraphrasing, if there is a stick in hand, okay, and a snake is about biting your child. I don't think you would just keep holding the stick. You would hit the snake. In this case, the stick in hand is genetic engineering or biotechnology. And the snake could be the effects of climate change, which has affected um, biotech stresses, abiotic stresses. So are we going to hold this technology and watch the people die? of hunger when it's a solution. I, I, so in conclusion, what I would say is we need to embrace it. And I think people are ready to embrace it. We just have to keep educating the public on what it is and how it's done, because there are a lot of misconceptions. Once they are well-educated and it's clarified, people are more than willing to accept this because food is important for everyone. Everyone eats and nobody enjoys going hungry. And that's that's what I would say in conclusion. Thank you. Wow, thank you for those strong and powerful words. And I believe our audience out there really share the same idea that we need to feed the world. We need to provide more food for people. And we need the stick that we have in hand to be able to do this instead of looking for a thousand more things that we don't have access to. Thank you so much to you wonderful panelists for giving us your time today and thank you to all our participants.